Thank you for listening to Franklin City Church's Sermon Podcast. For more information on Franklin City Church, please check us out at www.franklincitychurch.com. Today's scripture comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning thankful for another day to live in your creation, to be a part of what you are doing in this world, God. And so, God, as we gather as as believers united around a love for you, we ask that you would attend this time with, with your presence and your power, that we might taste and see that you are good, that we might enjoy you, and that you would speak to us through your word this morning. I ask that Um, If there is anything of my own strength or my own words or anything that would get in the way of your word, God, I ask that you would um, just remove that or not let me speak it, God, but just make very clear your word to us this morning. May it take deep root in our hearts and transform us and stir up our love for you and for one another. And so, God, we ask that you would move and work and speak and that this would be all for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, good morning. You all made it here uh, safely. That's good. Uh, I was hoping even maybe for a little bit more ice because I really wanted the parking lot to take on more of that Winter Olympics feel, kind of a a Winter Olympics kind of themed parking lot. So uh, if it does get a little icy out there after the service, we'll do some curling or some uh, figure skating competitions, anything you guys want to do, okay? But uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Mark. Um, If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. We're going to have it up on the screen as well. But if you've got God's word with you this morning, open up to the book of Mark chapter one. Uh, And we are in week two of studying the book of Mark. So last week we started uh, this new series on the gospel according to Mark. And let me recap for you a little bit what we talked about last week. 
Last week, we introduced uh, ourselves, got introduced to the author of the book, which was John Mark. Now, he ultimately uh, wrote the book by the power of the Holy Spirit, but he wrote it in Rome. He was with Peter, and he was scribing for the apostle Peter as Peter was giving him the accounts of his time with Jesus. And last week, we looked at verse 1. We looked at just verse 1. It said, the beginning of the gospel, which we talked about what gospel means. Gospel means good news, right? Or we looked at a definition that it means good, glad glad, merry, joyful news that makes our hearts sing, dance, and leap for joy, right? That's the gospel. When we talk about the gospel, that's that good news that makes our hearts sing, dance, and leap for joy. And then we looked at the beginning of the gospel of Jesus. And Matt talked a little bit about the meaning of the name Jesus, right? Which means God saves. And then we looked at the word Christ, how Christ was the title for him as the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one, the one in which God's people were looking forward to that would come and rescue them. And then we saw how in verse 1 that Mark used this title of the Son of God. And it's going to be one of Mark's favorite titles for Jesus, the Son of God. And when Mark says the Son of God, he is in fact declaring that Jesus is God, that Jesus is God. And now in the rest of the book of Mark, um, Mark is going to show us how Jesus is the Christ, how he is the Messiah, and he's going to prove to us how he is the Son of God, that Jesus is God in the flesh. Okay, so now we're at verse 2, Mark 1, verse 2. It says, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Okay, so Mark starts the story by pointing us back to the Old Testament, and then he's going to introduce us to John the Baptist, all right? But John the Baptist, he was sent to prepare the way for Jesus, all right? Sent to prepare the way for Jesus. He was the setup man, so to speak. And Mark, Mark, in this passage, he combines three Old Testament passages. So he combines a passage from Exodus, from Malachi, and then from Isaiah. And it's mainly from Isaiah that he uses in this passage here to open up the book. And remember, Mark is writing to mainly non-Jewish Christians, uh, mainly people who wouldn't be familiar with the Old Testament. But he's showing us that the gospel that he's about ready to go into that this good news that God saves, that this isn't some new idea. This isn't some new thought or something that he was just coming up with. No, but this had been prophesied about long ago by the prophets that a Savior, a Messiah, would come to save his people. And that before his, the Savior would come, that there would be a messenger sent to prepare the way for him. And so in Malachi, we see it was prophesied that Elijah would come before the Messiah would come and prepare the way and get people ready for his arrival. So listen to these words from Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. And so here, the people of God, they are waiting for an Elijah, or they are waiting for a prophet like Elijah to come and prepare the way for the Messiah. And what Mark is telling us in this passage is that John the Baptist was that messenger. He was that prophet that was sent to prepare the way for the Messiah. He is the prophet that, like Malachi said, would turn the hearts of God's people. 
He was not Elijah in the flesh, but he came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. So when the angel of the Lord uh, spoke to Zechariah, which was John the Baptist's uh, father, it says in Luke 117, uh, speaking of John the Baptist, this is an angel speaking to John the Baptist's father. He says, he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Does that sound familiar at all from Malachi, right? To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared, a people prepared. And Jesus himself affirms this in Matthew 11, 13, and 14. Jesus says this. He says, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. And so here we see in Mark, as well as in the other gospel accounts, there is an affirmation that John the Baptist was the prophet who was preparing the way for Jesus, the Messiah. And I want to take a moment just now. Can we not just stop and worship God and recognize that God is faithful? He is faithful to do what he said he would do. He said he would send a Messiah. He said he would send the Christ. He said he would send a rescuer. And he said he would send a prophet beforehand to turn the hearts of the people towards him and get them ready for his arrival. And listen, church, he did it. He did it. What God says he will do, he does. And even if it's hundreds of years later, and even if it doesn't always look like how we were expecting, God is faithful to fulfill his promises. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, let's set the scene a little bit for you because I want you to be able to envision what's going on here in uh, the first chapter of Mark, okay? So we've met John the Baptist a little bit. We've been introduced to him. We at least know that he is the messenger, the prophet that is being sent to prepare people for the coming Messiah. We see then in verse 4 that the setting is in the wilderness, Okay, so I want you to picture in your mind a wilderness setting. This isn't in the city. This isn't in a town. This isn't in a village. This is out in the wilderness. And then verse 6 describes John a little bit more. Look at verse 6. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. I mean, John was a rugged wilderness man. All right. I mean, he's a little even unusual for that time. He's not dressed in fine robes and doesn't enjoy all the comforts like some of the priests did at that time. No, he was out in the wilderness eating locusts, all right, which I've been told are a great source of protein. Okay, so certainly if you're going, you know, kind of high protein diet, I think they are a great source of protein. We can only assume that these were grass fed and free range locusts. Okay. But I want you to try to envision this right now in your mind, okay? Like he's got some sort of camel hair clothing on. I don't know exactly what that would look like, but he's probably got some big, like, manly leather belt. And then he's just eating wild honey like a boss, right? So envision that. I want you to get a picture in your mind of John the Baptist, and he's out now in the wilderness, okay? Envision the setting. He's out in the wilderness. And the wilderness, the wilderness is very different from the city, Okay, the wilderness can be a very just solitary, lonely, desolate place where you are not surrounded by all the comforts and the conveniences and the protection of the community of the city. The wilderness does not have all the conveniences of living in a city. 
So thinking about the wilderness, picturing the wilderness, I mean, just think about the wilderness. It can be very uncomfortable out in the wilderness, right? It can be unsafe in the wilderness. You can get thirsty in the wilderness. You can get hungry in the wilderness. You can be very lonely in the wilderness. It can be a very lonely place out in the wilderness. And maybe some of you this morning, you might not be physically out in the wilderness right now, but maybe some of you this morning might spiritually or emotionally feel like you are out in the wilderness. Maybe some of you right now, you do feel very isolated and lonely. Maybe you do feel dry, like you're just thirsting and hungering for more. Maybe you're feeling uncomfortable and unsettled. And so if that is you this morning, here is some good news for you this morning. Here's some good news if that's where you're at. If you're feeling like you are in a wilderness season of life right now, I've got good news this morning. God loves to meet his people in the wilderness. He does. He loves to meet his people in the wilderness. God met Moses at the burning bush in the wilderness. Elijah was ministered to out in the wilderness. Jeter, Jesus, excuse me, Jesus. Jesus would later feed thousands out in the wilderness. Jesus himself would retreat to the wilderness to meet with God. And God's people, as he led them out of Egypt, where did he lead them to? He led them into the wilderness. And eventually, he would lead them out of the wilderness, and he would cross the Jordan River, which the Jordan River now is where John the Baptist is baptizing people, okay? He would eventually lead his people out of the wilderness through the Jordan River. And so picture this scene of wilderness. You've got the Jordan River, right? Mark is really painting the picture and setting the scene of a new exodus of God's people, this is a new exodus of God's people. God is calling his people from the wilderness away from lives of isolation to a life of now community with God in a community with God's people. So if you feel like you are in a wilderness season, please take heart. Take heart. God is doing something with you there. And you are likely very close to having just a, a, a close, sweet experience with God. I would say if you feel like you're in the wilderness right now, that is way better to be in that place than it is to be busy, distracted, comfortable, and carefree like most of us live many of our you know, lives, especially here in America, right? God loves to meet his people out in the wilderness. And so here out of the wilderness walks this camel-skinning, leather-rocking, locust-eating, honey-loving John the Baptist, all right? He appears out of the wilderness. He's been sent to prepare the way for Jesus, to get people ready for the arrival of God himself, and to call people away from living isolated and independently from God to now a life that enjoys the community of God and of his people, and so he was sent to prepare the way. He was getting a people prepared for Jesus. Well, how was he getting people prepared? John was not proclaiming a message like so many of the Jewish groups or teachers of that time. You see, they were calling people to better performance. They were calling people to better performance. And it is the same message that many will still even proclaim today. Like, just perform better. Just be better. Be your best self. Be all that you can be. Try harder. Clean yourself up. But no, that's not how John is preparing people to walk with God. 
He wasn't calling them to perform better. He wasn't calling for a better performance. He was calling for a radical repentance. He was calling for a radical repentance. So look at Mark 1, verse 4. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Here we see him call people to repent, to confess sin, and experience the amazing forgiveness of God. He's not calling them to perform. He's not calling them to just start performing better. He's getting them ready for God by calling them to repent and to confess their sins. Well, let's talk a little bit about confessing and repenting, all right? Confessing your sin is acknowledging your sin to God, okay? Confessing your sin is acknowledging your sin to God. It is agreeing with God and calling a specific sin, sin, Now, it is more than just a half-hearted apology, like, oh, I'm sorry I did that, but not really, right? Confession is acknowledging that either your thoughts, your actions, or your motives, that they were sin, they were rebellion against your creator and against God. So confessing your sin is acknowledging your sin to God and acknowledging your sin to others. Confession should then be accompanied with repentance. Now, repentance is a turning, Okay, confessing is an acknowledging. Repentance is a turning. It is a turning from one way of thinking or living to another. So when I think about the meaning of true repentance, I think about turning, trusting, and traveling. All right, I like things that that are short and I can remember. Okay, turn, trust, travel. So true repentance incorporates this idea that when I repent, I am turning from my sin. I'm saying I do not want to live in this sin anymore. My mind and my heart have changed and I desire to turn from this sin. It then involves a trusting, right? A trusting and a resting in God, a trusting and a resting in what Christ has accomplished for me. And then it involves a traveling, a following after him. And so true repentance, it incorporates this idea of turning from sin, trusting in God and traveling and following after him. And so John was preparing people for God's arrival by calling them to repent, to turn from living lives that were independent and isolated from God to lives that are now instead dependent upon God and in communion or relationship with him. So this is not what John is doing. This is not what John is doing. He could have prepared people for God like you prepare when a guest is coming over that you really want to impress, right? Because what do you do when someone comes over that you really want to impress? What you likely do is you pretend and you perform, right? You get your house ready for the performance of what you want these people to think your house always looks like, when in actuality, we know that's not what your house usually looks like, right? So I don't know what you do, but I typically, right, I want to mow the lawn, pull the weeds, get the outside all looking good. We pick up toys. We shove all the messes into closets, or at least that's my strategy, right? Just kind of just shove it all in the closet, close the door before it all falls back out. Maybe you vacuum. Maybe even some of you go as far to maybe bribe your kids for good behavior. I don't know 
no one wants to admit that, but maybe you do, and that's okay, all right? Um, but maybe you, don't, maybe you don't bribe them, maybe you don't bribe them, but maybe when they do misbehave, you snap at them or you lose patience with them quickly. Why? Because they are getting in the way of you putting on your best performance, right? Or maybe, maybe, maybe that's not you. Maybe you don't have an issue at the home, you don't, you're not concerned about impressing anybody. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you can relate more to trying to pretend or perform on social media. Are you not tempted to pretend and perform on social media? Right? Like you really are trying to impress people with the best pictures from the best angle and the best lighting with the best filters. When in actuality, most of your real life looks nothing like what you share on social media. Right? Now, here's my point. He's not running, John the Baptist, preparing people for Jesus' arrival. He's not running around just trying to kind of clean them up and make them look pretty all of a sudden, all right? He's not going around and telling people to start pretending or performing. He's not having them, you know, post more pics of them reading their Bible or big theology books. He's not giving seminars on how to clean themselves up or how to be all that they can be or how to be their best self, right? He's not doing that. No, he's doing what the prophets had predicted he would do, that he would prepare people by turning their hearts, or in other words, calling them to repentance, right? Turning their hearts, calling them to repentance, and getting them ready. By calling them to repentance, turning their hearts, he was getting them ready to receive the grace that God was going to provide. He was turning their hearts, calling them to repentance. He wasn't telling them to pretend or perform. Why? Because he was preparing them. He was getting them ready to receive the grace that God was about to provide them. And I love illustrations. You'll learn that quickly about me. I love illustrations. And I was thinking about what illustration could I give you so that you would have this image in your mind of what John was doing. Like, if only there was an illustration, if only there was an illustration that would show you how people's hearts were being turned or changed and being prepared uh, to receive the grace that God was about to provide. And so I was thinking, I was like, man, wouldn't it be cool if there was an illustration that maybe had like some water involved, right? Maybe the water could represent our hearts kind of being washed clean of sin. Or maybe there could be an illustration that would involve two people, uh, so that we could be reminded that we are not isolated individuals, but we are created for community. Maybe it could be an illustration that, uh, that, would sh- that one of the people would just be totally passive in the process to kind of demonstrate that we do nothing on our own uh, to be saved. Uh, maybe the water could serve as an illustration to remind us that we are saved by God's wrath through the water. And so it could point us back to stories in the Old Testament, how Noah was saved in the ark through water and how God's people were saved through the Red Sea through water. Maybe an illustration with water would kind of point us to that. Or maybe this illustration could give us some sort of picture about how we as believers, we identify with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection Or maybe it could give us a picture about how when we go under the water as an individual who has lived apart from God, now we come up to new life and we are now a part of God's people. Like if only there was some symbolic thing that joined our story and God's story and everyone else's story together. Surely there had to be an illustration like that out there, right? 
Now, if you're not smelling what I'm stepping in, try to keep up, okay? Mark 1, verse 5. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. I have quickly learned that God gives us the best illustrations. And he gives us baptism so that we can see his grace. So that we can see his grace. Baptism is one of the two ordinances or sacraments of the church. Now, Roman Catholics and other Eastern Orthodox churches, they have many more, kind of up to seven, but our, our criteria for what our ordinances are that we practice is that one, they were instituted by Christ, they were taught by the apostles, and they were practiced by the early church. And the two that meet those criteria are baptism and communion, or the Lord's Supper. Jesus told us to observe these two when we gather with other Christians. They are visible signs and seals that we are bound together as a community of faith by Christ's death and resurrection. Well, what is baptism? Let's talk a little bit about baptism. To baptize means to dip or plunge or to immerse. And so here's John who's calling people to get them prepared by repenting and turning their hearts towards God, and then he starts dunking them in the Jordan River, which the idea of washing in water wasn't a completely foreign concept to the Jewish people at that time, but it still was a little unusual. They certainly, they did have some cleansing, washing rituals that they performed with water for certain sacrifices and rituals. Uh, and then when a Gentile convert, converted to Judaism, there was a full body washing or a baptism that occurred. But still, what John was doing was so radical because he was not telling them to do more sacrifices or to perform more cleansing rituals. No, he was preparing people's hearts for the one who would come to be their once and for all sacrifice and their once and for all cleansing. And so he was calling them to repentance. And through baptism, he was giving them a tangible and a visible picture of the grace that God was about to provide them. He was calling them to repentance, and through baptism, he was giving them a tangible and visible picture of the grace that God was about to provide. Well, there are a few, a uh, couple of different uh, baptisms, a couple of which we see here in this passage. There was John's baptism, which was a baptism of repentance. It was preparing uh, people for Jesus's arrival. John then declares in this passage in verse 8 that there is a baptism of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is coming after him and he's going to baptize his people with the Holy Spirit. And then there is a, what we'd call a believer's baptism, uh, which is what we now practice in the church until Jesus returns. And so when someone repents, when they turn from their sin, when they trust in Jesus as their Savior, and they are now traveling and following after him, then we encourage them to obey and follow the example that Jesus is going to set for us, which we'll see next week, and we would encourage them to be baptized. Baptism is an outward proclamation of an inner change of heart, okay? We baptize you physically as a symbol of what Jesus has done in your heart. And so in baptism, you are doing a few things. Let's talk through these a little bit, okay? In baptism, you're doing a few things. One is you are publicly associating with the one triune God. 
So we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And some of you remember that vividly because some of you got triple dunked. You got dunked for every person of the Trinity, right? I don't know. I've talked to a few of you. You got triple dunked, which I think is a little aggressive. uh, And yet it does, I guess, help you remember uh, that we are baptizing you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, okay? And by doing this, you are forsaking all other gods, and you are publicly proclaiming that you are associating with the one the one true and living God. In baptism, you are also identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Romans 6, 3, and 4, listen to these words. It says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So we are identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Also in baptism, you are acknowledging that through Christ's work, you are now cleansed from your sin. And water is a visual reminder of that cleansing. In baptism, you are showing that in Christ, you are escaping divine judgment and God's wrath. And then in baptism, you are showing not only that you have been plunged into or immersed into union with Christ, but you have now been united with his people. You have now been united with his people. And so baptism is a celebration. And I'm praying, I know we just started in September, but I'm looking forward to and praying for that our, that our first baptisms would be happening soon. And when we do have a baptism here, we are going to celebrate. It is a celebration and a visual display of what God has done in a believer's heart. It is a celebration that we are now united with him. And not only are we united with him, but we are now united with one another. So baptism is celebrating that we are entering into this new covenant relationship with God, this communion with God and with his people. And then we have the Lord's Supper or communion, which is a visual reminder weekly of this ongoing covenant renewal. And so in the Lord's Supper, we are reminded of God's pledge to us. We are repledging ourselves to God. We are celebrating that we are saved by grace through the salvation that was accomplished by Christ. And then we are anticipating and looking forward to his return when we celebrate communion or the Lord's Supper. And so getting back to John, he's preparing people for Jesus' arrival by calling them to repent to turn from living isolated and independently from God and calling them to now live lives in community, fellowship, and dependence with God and with God's people. And people were responding. People were responding. All the country of Judea and Jerusalem, they were going out to be baptized by him. He became an instant celebrity. And people were flocking to him. And we see in some of the other gospel accounts, people were even wondering, is this the Christ? Is this the Messiah? Is this the one we've been waiting for and looking for? And I think you and I, we probably would have allowed all that attention start to go to our head, right? But not John. Look how John responds to this fame in verse 7. He says, And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John humbles himself here and says, I am nothing. 
The one I am preparing you for, the one who comes after me, I am not even worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals. Which, by the way, that was the job of a slave because feet were really nasty back then, okay? He said, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. He humbles himself. John's like, I'm just baptizing you with water. I'm just trying to get you ready. I'm just the opening act. I'm just the setup man. The one who comes after me, the one you've been longing for and looking for, he's not just going to come and temporarily clean your outside. No, he's going to cleanse you from the inside out. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, let's talk a little bit about being baptized with the Holy Spirit, okay? That is a phrase that could cause some disagreements and divisions amongst followers of Jesus, but it's in the Bible, so let's talk, all right? The reason it can be a source of disagreement is that we've seen in the last century some of the charismatic movement and some Pentecostal churches have taught that it is, it is a separate event from salvation where you receive kind of like an extra outpouring of the Spirit and it is typically accompanied with a gift like speaking in tongues or another miraculous sign. And so we can, we can love our brothers and sisters in Christ who have been taught or believed this way. But what we believe the Bible teaches is that every believer has been baptized with the Holy Spirit, and this occurs when someone is saved, okay? Every believer is baptized with the Holy Spirit. John Stott once said, he said, baptism of the Holy Spirit is a universal Christian experience because it is the initial Christian experience, all right? It is a universal experience because it is the initial Christian experience. And so we believe when everyone is saved that the Holy Spirit does come and fill them and does give them gifts. But we don't believe that he gives everyone the same spiritual gifts. But all the gifts he gives are good and all are to be used for the glory of God and the good of his people and the maturing and the mission of the church. 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen says this. It says, for in one spirit... We were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So when Jesus saves us, he does baptize us with the Holy Spirit. This is a supernatural work on our heart. So he, he regenerates our heart. What I mean by regenerates, when we say regenerates, it means he removes our old, dead, sinful nature and gives us now a new nature that is responsive to God. So that is what happens when he regenerates our hearts. And then when he regenerates our hearts, then he fills us with his spirit. He dips us, plunges us, immerses us, baptizes us then with his spirit. And when this occurs... Not necessarily something miraculous always happens on the outside, but most definitely something supernatural and miraculous does happen on the inside. And so we baptize with water. Jesus baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. Your pastor baptized you with water because Jesus first baptized you with the Holy Spirit, okay? Or your pastor was just looking for an excuse to hold your head underwater, all right? It was probably one of those two things, hopefully the first, all right? We baptize you with water. Jesus baptized you with the Holy Spirit. So if you have personally never been baptized, I think this is a great Sunday to be thinking through that, to be processing through that, and we would love to talk with you, uh, talk through baptism with you. Uh, you first need to consider if you have truly repented, if you have truly turned your heart, if you've tr truly confessed that Jesus is Lord and trusted that he is your Savior, 
And we would love to walk through that with you and talk with you through that. Now, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, but you haven't been baptized as a believer, let's talk as well, as that is something we would encourage as a step of obedience, as well as a beautiful picture and visual of God's grace and his salvation that was accomplished in Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. So John's baptism was good. It was preparing people for Jesus' arrival, but he was merely the setup man for Jesus who would come and baptize his people with the Spirit. And church, I think we forget just how glorious this is that the Spirit of God now dwells within us. It's a glorious thing. It's a glorious thing. I think we forget that the same Spirit that was with John the Baptist, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, now dwells in us. We forget this. And church, we can sit here this morning and look at John the Baptist and and think, man, what a guy, right? What a guy, John the Baptist. Man, what a calling he had on his life to prepare the way for Jesus' arrival. What a calling he had to call people to repentance and encourage them to confess their sins and offer them God's gift of forgiveness and prepare their hearts to be turned to the Lord and to be baptizing and calling people to turn from lives of independence from God to lives that are now in community with God. Like, wow, what a great calling. What a great guy, John the Baptist, huh? It feels, though, strangely familiar, doesn't it? John the Baptist calling. And you see, church, John the Baptist was a preparing people for Jesus' arrival. We, in the same way, are preparing people for Jesus' return. And so we find ourselves in a time when we are waiting for Jesus' return, and we have been called to prepare the way for his arrival. As ministers of the gospel, we have the honor and the privilege of being ambassadors that share the good news of the gospel of Jesus in order to get a people prepared for his return. So I want to share a quote from J.C. Ryle with you this morning. The principal work of every faithful minister of the gospel is to set the Lord Jesus Fully before his people, and to show them his fullness and his power to save. The next great work he has to do is to set before them the work of the Holy Spirit and the need of being born again and inwardly baptized by his grace. These two mighty truths appear to have been frequently on the lips of John the Baptist. It would be well for the church and the world if there were more ministers like him. And you are all ministers of the gospel. We are equipping you all to be ministers of the gospel. But this can be scary, right? I mean, not all of us can rock camel skin clothing and leather belts and go around eating locusts and honey. Not all of us can feel like we're up to the task that John the Baptist was up for, right? But I mean, seriously, can't it feel overwhelming? Can't it feel overwhelming? Don't we often feel unequipped or inadequate for the task ahead? But church, let me remind you that when you were saved and when you were baptized by the Spirit, you received power. You received power. Acts 1.8, Jesus said, 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Our confidence is not in ourselves or in our own abilities. We know that even more so than John, we are unworthy to untie the straps of the one who is coming. No, our confidence is in the power of God himself who has come upon us and has now had called us to go make disciples, to go help others follow Jesus, to go baptize, to go preach and teach and love and serve. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus' arrival. Church, we now have a similar calling to prepare for Jesus' return. And so, church, you go. You go and prepare the way. You go and show people the grace of God. You go call them to turn to God. You go confess and encourage others to confess their sins. You go enjoy the radical forgiveness of God. You go extend the radical forgiveness of God. You go out to the wilderness and you go hunger and thirst for more of God. You go out to the wilderness and you sit with the lonely and the isolated. You go out to the margins of society and you welcome them in. You go out to the independent and you show them the joy of living in dependence on God. You go out to the isolated and bring them into community. You go baptize and teach and preach and serve and love and church. Go and prepare the way. I know it's scary, but you have received power when the Holy Spirit came upon you. So church, you go and prepare the way. Revelation 22.20, we'll close with this. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. God, we long for and look forward to your return. But God, we feel so, at times, inadequate, unequipped, and timid for the task of preparing the way. God, may we remember the indwelling power of your spirit that is within us, God, may we go. May we go out to our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers and our community and our city. God, may we go not in a, in a confidence in our own abilities, but may we always rest and rely upon your power. May we show people your grace. And God, we ask that you would work through us, work through these people here to turn people's hearts to you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.